my god. I think we've talked about this so much, and you guys probably know who he is by now. Very much so. Uh, Zaid, how do you? How are you feeling? I'm actually stoked to have this this podcast episode happening because we've talked about it at least within the past ten episodes. Mm-hmm. Really, at least. Mm-hmm. That's what. It, at least that's what it's felt like. Yeah, and we have. Um, we're not gonna put his face yet, up until I mention his name. But <laughs> oh my god, we got so many questions. Um, a lot has been happening in the past year regarding this topic. And um, I would like to introduce you guys to Tyler Zaharodnik from Contact Tour. Thank you. Guys, guys, it is finally happening. All right. I'm trying not to be overly excited here, but I am. Being you, pr- a little... you pronounced the last name correctly. Did I? That was great. Sick. It's a tough last name, I've been too. practicing that in the mirror. I'm like, Tyler Zaharodnik. Zahar- Tyler <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he is... Um, the way I see him, at least, I, this is how I like to, you know, introduce people. It's cool. the way I see them and perceive them, okay? He is a UFO enthusiast. Um, he is one of those people that really, really comes off as genuine into his craft. Haha, <laughs> craft. But, um... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Typical. And, uh... <laughs> Yeah, he's been running a page called Contact Tour. The first time we followed him, it was we it was just one of those, oh, this guy's really into UFOs type of thing, you know? And um, sooner, I found out that this guy really knows what he's talking about, um, especially when it comes to answering some questions that most of us have. Uh, yeah, his page was just doing better and better. And I'm like, okay, this is, I just unfollowed all the other UFO pages, and I started following Tyler. This right was away. the source. <laughs> yeah, this was the source right here. You need him, contact him. That's it. And uh, yeah, dude, um, I don't even know where to begin, but uh, I've, I've been wanting to just really dig into who you are, what got you started in all of this, um, and just kind of like run us through why you're so passionate about chasing UFOs and, and like, you know, I guess just exploring all the yeah, other like dude, technologies, like mm. um, declassifying <laughs> certain things, like um, like classified folders and stuff like that. I know a lot of people have hard time um, understanding those, mm. so it's one of those things I wanted to dig into as well in this episode. And yeah, just uh, let's let's get into it. How how did you start all this? Well, thanks for having me. Of course. I mean, you guys are <laughs> you guys are legends. Appreciate you, bro. Appreciate you. Two a.m. If you guys aren't tuning in, tune in. Well. My personal ethos is that I believe that there should be zero limitations as to what information humanity should have access to. Mm. I don't subscribe to or acknowledge any nation states or governmental or academic institutions. I don't believe in gatekeepers. I don't see any other human being superior to any other human being. So that being said, first and foremost, everybody has a birthright to have access to all the knowledge Mm -hmm. because knowledge is power and concealment of knowledge, particularly we're talking about unidentified aerial phenomenon, UAP, that's the new acronym for UFOs for everybody who's getting caught up to speed and to quote, Jacques Vallée, the constant changing of the acronyms is 
linguistical beautification to further confuse and obfuscate the issue. So that's just a tactic, again, coming back around to knowledge concealment to just fragment the knowledge and to keep everybody in the dark, which has been going on for the last century. Yeah, I think it's one of those uh, problems we've had. I, I've, I keep watching the Congress meeting um, that went public for the first time. And there's, it's one of those things where you keep asking the question, what is being kept in the dark? And it's, I think it's, it's a human, it's in human nature for us to ask questions like that. Like, why is it so secretive? You know, why do we come out of the, like on the table and say, yes, we have um, found an extraterrestrial technology that has maybe harmed one or two of us, but we can't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, uh, we need that push to find out more, right? And it's, I don't know if that's morally or like morally correct or not, but it's just like, it's in our nature for us to be seeking some sort of truth. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird world we live in right now. Um, I, I mean, just, just go based off of like the presidencies after Obama, how it just went down <laughs> to a circus show. You know, nothing's really be, being taken as serious anymore. And what genuinely pisses me off sometimes is that let's just say we have a piece of news like this where it's just, you know, we've, we've finally caught something. We shot it down. It landed, whatever the case is, right? Um, the first thing we do is hide it. And it's like, why? Isn't it our right to kind of know, you know, especially if it landed like on your piece of property? You know, I think there's a, is there a law for this where they're allowed to confiscate if you've had um, like an artifact? Well, this whole concealment, this cosmic Watergate, that's what J. Allen Hynek has called it. And that's what Stanton Friedman has called it. That's what Steven Spielberg has called it. It's the equivalent of the Watergate scandal during the Nixon administration, but a million times more significant. It's mm. a great phrase. I love that. Cosmic Watergate. Great name for a film. Any filmmakers out there? <laughs> Let's get writing. <laughs> it's it's really complex as to why. But my bottom line, my interpretation of it is there is a global arms race mm -hmm. with other nations of power who have also recovered, retrieved, and began the reverse engineering process of off-world or interdimensional, transdimensional technologies to weaponize them and have an upper hand on the geopolitical global stage. Because whoever has that power, they can establish full-spectrum dominance on the planet and then have access to all of the strategic raw materials that are necessary for our civilization to have energy, to have food, to have all the basic resources that each individual needs to survive. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, you can put it in one word actually. And Eisenhower said this during his farewell address, the military industrial complex. This has been a term that's been thrown around for decades since Eisenhower gave that farewell address. But the actual reality of it has been coming more and more to the forefront as the war, war drum continues to beat 
up until now. And we're seeing trillions of dollars going into private defense companies, contractors, Lockheed Martin, EG&G, Boeing, General Dynamics, Raytheon. Just those five alone. Now, there could be one that I got incorrect, but in particularly, these are the ones that come to mind. They're getting $400 billion a year. Five companies. And those same companies are in bed with BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard. Not surprised. Not at all. So what we're seeing is centralized banks who have control of private defense contractors taking hundreds of billions of dollars from taxpayers, working on programs and projects that are operating illegally, illegally, unconstitutionally, outside of government oversight and outside the oversight of the people. And then this causes a constellation of other problems. For example, we don't have free education at the mm -hmm. college level. We don't have the money for it. Public services are dwindling because we don't have the money for it. Mm -hmm. Just basic infrastructure. You have power lines still. We could have had wireless transference of electrical power since Nikola Tesla on Long Island with the Wardenclyffe Tower funded mm -hmm. by J.P. Morgan. We don't have the money for it. So all of these practical adjustments and attunements and upgrades, just general maintenance that could be done to society at all levels, apparently we don't have the funds for it. But then meanwhile, we have a military that's taking trillions of dollars and spreading democracy and liberty and freedom to the Middle East, mm -hmm. to all other corners of the globe. The United States has over 900 military bases yeah. across the planet. We're the only country that does that. The only country. I bet you if China built a military base on the United States-Mexico border, that's it. It's on. But for some reason, the United States has this diplomatic immunity mm -hmm. and because of NATO as well, but we can dive into that, that we can just establish this militaristic operational control over the entire world. And at the core of all of this, and this is what's coming to light now, especially over since 2017, since Lou Elizondo came out with, and also with Chris Mellon, and they had the three declassified videos. They had the GoFast, the Gimbal, and the Tic Tac actually showing people the capabilities of these objects. That set the next generation of this whole disclosure process and it's unraveling. Uh, I'm not sure where you guys want to take it from there, but I guess my bottom line, because I'm just rambling on a train of thought here, is the secrecy comes down to militaristic control mm. and, and technical advantage over foreign adversarial nations. There's a lot, yeah. Uh, I can see how it is complicated, especially because you don't know what higher entity is in control of this too. Uh, besides BlackRock, obviously, and you know, the, the list of companies that you have, you know, um, given us, there's some sort of power control center that is able to really strategize on this. And it's, um, 
it's not for the people. This is what, I don't know, man. It's it's going to get too political, but it's just going to be like <laughs> this. It's never for the people. Um, we we're starting to get the hint of that, mm-hmm. and I think because of the internet, we are able to see that now. You know, okay. and this is also the only issue that in recent years has bipartisan support. Mm-hmm. And although I am wearing a Kennedy twenty four shirt, <laughs> I'm about it. I am about it as well. I've never been involved in politics and to be quite honest, never paid mind to it. Even when I was in the army, Mm -hmm. it just wasn't my field of interest. But then what ends up happening is when you start really diving into serious research on this issue of the secrecy surrounding UFOs, you realize how much the entire political and governmental apparatus really is influenced by this. Mm -hmm. Mm. Most presidents have never been given actionable intelligence about this issue. Members of Congress, up until recently, have never been given any actionable intelligence on this issue. And if they were, and then they approached the intelligence community or the Pentagon or any agency or branch within the national security state, they were deliberately misled. They were given disinformation, which pretty much redirected them to go in a totally different course that wouldn't actually get them what they're looking for. So the question comes <laughs> comes to mind, like, do we have democracy? Are the people who are, are we're electing into these positions of power, they don't actually have the power. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty alarming. It's very alarming. That's what you start to learn. Uh, yeah. So what do you, for the everyday average Joe, who isn't really into the UFO, UAP stuff, who hasn't gone into the, the rabbit hole, because it is a deep rabbit hole and you have to piece together all these different things, what would you say to people who are inherently, I guess, mistrust mistrusting about the narrative around UFOs or UAPs? In what, in what way? I guess, like, what is your pitch, so to speak, to get them to start, you know, having some curiosity and get the ball rolling? Well, just take a moment when you're out and about in your day-to-day life. Just pause. Just have a good look around at the world. And you'll notice that, relatively speaking, there has been zero improvements in our energy infrastructure, in our manufacturing, in our distribution, pretty much every field, every industry. Yeah, every common industry. Why is it that we have not made any noticeable advancements in a hundred years. Mm-hmm. This issue. Makes the, sense. The, the secrecy, it's the technology. If you talk to any academic, any scientist, there's a consensus now. There is life in the universe besides us, and we are not at the top of that totem pole. This is the next step of the evolution of our collective consciousness, collective mind. We used to think that Everything in the universe evolved around the earth. Then we realized, oh no, we evolve around the sun. Then we realized, oh, there's other suns out there. And then we extrapolate from there up until now. Mm-hmm. There's trillions of stars. Trillions. <laughs> that means hundreds, deca, I don't even know what comes after trillion, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> planets. Planets out there. And those planets have been 
around for billions of years longer than us. And all of them have very similar, well, majority of them have very similar conditions to here. They can, they can have life generating faculties like the earth does. And maybe there's a species out there that doesn't have the same self-destructive habits as humanity. And early on in the game, they cooperated with each other and they peacefully go into space. And now they're on this mission to explore and do reconnaissance and intelligence gathering and surveillance and like cosmic anthropology and just Mm -hmm. research. They're here. I've looked at enough material at this point. I'm, I'm convinced. Convince me otherwise, to be quite honest. Yeah, that's a good point. Please convince me otherwise that there's not extraterrestrials here. I invite anybody. Mm-hmm. Come have a conversation with me. Tyson, Nye, anybody. Mm-hmm. They're here. But to get back to what we're talking about, you look around at the world, you see that nothing has changed. And I say this all the time. Like, the Model T and the, the new... I don't know, BMW that just came out. Mm-hmm. St- still using fossil fuel combustion engines. We just know how to kind of smoothen them out, put touch screens on them. Package it better, yeah. Package it. You can put your phone and connect your phone to it. And also, what you know what really gets under my skin? Mm. It's, the, it's the Teslas. Oh, God. The Teslas. Because people are like, I'm being such a good citizen because I'm not using gas anymore. And then meanwhile, you hook up to a grid that is... The core of the problem, of the issue, just because you get to save some time. Actually, now you don't even get you really, don't get, you don't get to save time. You still have to wait forty five minutes for that. Yeah, that's true. Excuse me, Tesla to charge. Nothing has changed. They're just making these innovations to prolong us remaining compliant and. <sighs> I don't get heated when I talk about this, but it definitely gets under my skin. They're prolonging the process of us not having to be dependent on that energy infrastructure anymore, this system, all the fossil fuels. And dude, over the last several months, I have been reaching out to environmentalists, you know, big online environmentalists, 50,000 followers, 150,000, a million. And I want to have a conversation with them about how, This field, call it ufology, is beginning to bridge with the environmentalism or the environmental movement. There's a convergence here because the environmentalists are advocating for sustainable, clean energy solutions. And they're like, windmills, solar panels, hydroelectricity. (laughs) And I'm talking to Dr. Thomas Vallone, who is the founder of Integrity Research Institute in Washington, D.C. If you want to talk to anybody about the actual science behind climate change, that is the guy. And Mm -hmm. I've been having conversations with this man for nearly a year now. And he told me that if we use the traditional green energy systems that everyone's advocating for, wind, solar, et cetera, it's going to take at least 50 years to get those systems operational globally when we maybe have 20 years tops to make drastic changes in how we produce and consume and use our energy. Otherwise, we are going to go past the threshold in which there is no going back. And at the current rate, it's never going to happen. I'm, I'm very optimistic that we're actually going to make this happen because of the, the, the action on behalf of all of us mm. who are pushing 
against our government systems right now to give us solutions and with the public hearings that are happening mm-hmm. with the disclosure because all of that technology and I've talked to Dr. Greer about this quite a bit and plus he's been saying this for decades the technology directly related to these programs reverse engineering the extraterrestrial craft that would Dude, in 10 years, in a decade, you're going to have an entirely different civilization. An entirely different civilization. And that's what I would say to people. I know that was a bit of a stretch, but that's what I would say to people who are just getting into this and they're interested. Why? Why should I care about this? Because if you want to have a future, and I'm not saying this to scare people, because I do, I'm very optimistic. We're going to get out of this. We're, you know, transitions are rough, but we're going to get out of this. Otherwise, I wouldn't spend... Not even me, but all the hundreds, if not thousands of other people out here who dedicate their days every day, (laughs) days every day, the people who dedicate themselves to this, you know, we wouldn't be doing it. Yeah. Because what's the, what's the point? You know, if, if there, if there's really no, no outcome besides mutually assured destruction through a thermonuclear exchange or irreversible environmental degradation, what's the point? Yeah. Just, you know, go kick it at Buffalo Wild Wings. Go watch the fight and get some boneless. So watch everything crash and burn. Watch everything crash and burn and participate in that process. Yeah. Anarchy. Might as well. I'm not saying that. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, that's what I say to people who are, like, who, who just raise the question for the first time. Why is this important? It is an entirely new world if we handle these next few years properly. Yeah. yeah. It is. It's... To me, it's kind of scary to think about who would get into this, especially with the uh, civilization being different in the next 10 years. You have to think about the upcoming generations. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the saddest things, or rather scary even, is the um, what we call the iPad generation. You know, people mm-hmm. that are stuck in this world of online. The e-boys. The e-boys. Essentially, yeah. <laughs> that's a great term. Um, <laughs> and it, I, that's logic. I got credit logic on that one. That was not me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's almost fascinating how we are so locked out of the real world, right, for you to even comprehend these things, you know. Uh, I remember back, what, 1998, I think it was the first time I ever saw my first telescope. Whoa. Okay. And um, it was at my dad's friend's house. He had a rooftop. And he was like, oh, check out this little cool thing that you can attach your camera to. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And I remember just being in the thought process of, like, what's in the night sky to begin with, you know? And I feel like that core question is just missing nowadays, you know? It's kind of like what's on the hub? <laughs> yeah. What's on Apple like, TV? Uh, what's on Apple yeah. TV? Um, you know, how's trending? Yeah. yeah, exactly. How, what's the fastest internet service? Like, these are questions that now that we have, like, you know, quote unquote, deep thoughts on, which is just um, distracting from where you actually are. You know, if you take a step back, you're, you're on a planet called Earth. Zoom out more, you know, there's the moon and the sun, right? And then you zoom out more. There's like millions and millions of miles, tens of millions of miles. You'll reach Pluto, Mars. You know, there's, there's more to this than just the fiber optic cable that is connected to your ass. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you get what and I mean? Real life is, is way more interesting. Like, than I'm not saying FIFA no. is not fun, but it's just like, 
there has to be a separation between um, the real world and whatever this world has as tools for you to even begin to think about this. Yeah. We were talking about this before we started. The substructure. Mm. So my mentor, my grandpa, essentially, Daniel Sheehan, I've asked him these same kinds of questions that we're proposing here. How come nobody is interested? We're, we're so much more than just these pawns in a global economic game. Mm-hmm. We're much more than just dollar-generating sources of energy. We're these infinite divine beings, quite literally. <laughs> That's not an exaggeration. And this is what all of the ascended masters throughout human history have been doing their best to educate us on, mm-hmm. you know, adopting that worldview, that cosmology, whatever you want to call it. And the substructure is the ceiling. And it's all of the activities you just described. It's the indulgence and overconsumption of viral entertainment. It's the, it's the adoption of narratives that you actually don't resonate with, fear, major. We just came out of a massive wave of that. People literally being lied to by every single legacy mainstream news media outlet to be afraid or, quite simply put, something you shouldn't have been afraid of. Mm-hmm. And then we lost $14 trillion and then wiped out the entire middle class in three years. But that was a long time coming. Also, we all reinforce this behavior. You know, like attracts like. It's a frequency. So if you're in this space, you're in an environment that is reinforcing and supporting that substructure, that's all your life is going to amount to be. And also, you can't blame this on anybody either. Because, for example, you're a dad. You have five kids. Wife's a stay-at-home mom. You're hustling two jobs. And also on the weekends, you're driving Uber. You got a two-bedroom apartment. You got mouths to feed. And you're barely scraping by. And you live in California. Do you think Homeboy has the, the CPU left? Like the computation power in his mind? Does he, does he have the headroom in the mix? Absolutely. To not. think about what's going on outside of his world of taking care of these kids? Majority of people are living in that paradigm. And one of the reasons why Kennedy 24, one of the statistics Bobby shared recently, which struck me to my core, is 52% of Americans don't have access to $1,000. Yep. Put that in perspective. Walk out into the street. Every other person, actually like more than every other person you see, they don't have $1,000 in their bank account. Do you think anybody's looking up to see if extraterrestrials are observing? Mm-mm. No. It's all survival. It is survival. It's uh, Maslow's pyramid of essential needs. There's levels to it. You can't start taking on, I, I guess, proactively take on concepts larger than your day-to-day life until your basics are met. Mm-hmm. And half the world is still in level one, two. I need food. I need water. I need housing. I need security. I need a family. You know? But this issue affects everybody. That's why it's so big. This is the largest 
issue in modern human history, quite literally. And that's why I've, I've dedicated years, like thousands of hours to this, to just understand the situation and find the people who actually understand what's going on. Because this entire space is so oversaturated with conspiratorial hypotheses and lies, just fiction. And even sources who were esteemed at one point incredible as to where you can get your information are no longer trustworthy. Like we are in this new age now where we have to be discerning. We have to be an informed citizenry. That's true. We have to be. <clears throat> we have to take responsibility for the world and what the outcome is going gonna, is gonna to be. We can't be bystanders anymore. I've been saying this for the last couple of years, and I'm really grateful to actually see so much action happening because, like, Contact Tour isn't the, the only major page that's, like, doing a good job with this. My really good friend Vinny over at Disclosure Team in the U.K., dude, that guy's on top of it more than I am. You know, we're, we're in this, we're on the same road, just in different lanes, mm. but going toward driving towards the same destination and the same goal. That's beautiful. Mm. And we also have, for example, Chris Sharp, also in the UK, shout out to the boys of Liberation Times. This dude is sitting in the living room of his house, a father, I think we has, he has two kids. I don't know, but Chris is dope. And this guy just through the sure tenacity of emailing is getting information out of the national security state and the Pentagon about this issue. Wow. So, I mean, it's kind of paradoxical because yes, although I just mentioned that so many people are worried about their day to day survival, if something is really driving you, you, you make it happen anyway. Yeah. You make it happen anyway. So I, I know I kind of I contradicted myself a little bit, but most people may not even have that spark about this. You know, it's, it's kind of few and far in between. I can see how it's like uh, sort of a luxury to think like that um, because yeah. you, do, you do have to be at a relaxed state of mind to kind of, you know, start to uh, think about, think about beginning to think about it. You know, <laughs> like that's the sad reality. Yeah. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, this is why I like um, spirituality a lot because it really takes you back, and you, and then you start asking like, what is the purpose of this life in general, right? And then um, you know, ask the Muslims; they'll tell you the purpose of life is to pray. And it's like, well, what's the point of prayer? You know, um, ask um, Hindus, what's the point of life? It'll be like to breathe, to do what you know. What I'm saying like, it's to take your kids out to be to be, take them to nature on the weekends take a step back, you know, stuff like that. All of these rules are there. And it's kind of like, once you have a sense of like more uh, purpose of this life, truly, you know, when it comes down to like things like faith, spirit, um, you know, attitude, your, your mental starts to shift. And then you start allowing these gap times in your head for you to accept these things. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I think is cool about life is that you get to ask all these questions and there are answers and there's multiple answers which kind of funnel down to the same idea. Um, and that's what I, I think 
like following this, um, if you want to follow UAPs, um, start looking at UFOs, start looking at the sky, there's there's always a starting point. And I think it mm-hmm. starts with like really just accepting that everything is a question mark. And if and it goes back to like, you know, elementary school teaching where it's just like you got to learn to be curious and you got to learn to um, detach, do things you like. Like why did we do things like color an empty coloring book? You know, and you'd find so much joy in that when today all you can think about is like tomorrow's dollar, you know, right. um, and you don't put um, you don't put markers of like start and end to your day. Right. And that's kind of like that happens in, in adulthood. You know, um, a lot of us like start to regret, you know, uh, no, I want to say regret, but like I've heard some people say like, oh, I have I have regrets having this child or whatever the case is. And it's just like, or it came at a wrong time. And it's like there is no wrong, right time. Everything's kind of blessed. I think you just lost control of the the frequency of your day. You know, you have to put a start and end to these things um, and just accept your destiny. You see this a lot with drivers these days where it's just like they're always on their lane and it's like it's my lane, you know, whether there's traffic or not. <laughs> Especially it's kind of like, like move out of my way type of situation, you know. You were, you were saying the other day mm-hmm. on one of the episodes yeah. outside of a school. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Atrocious. Bro. The like, guy who was driving just, like, chaotic yeah, in and, front of children. And it's like, for, like I, I think people like me and you would ask the question, what the hell is in your mind at that moment? Because what allows you to act like that and just, like, aside from, like, shame from others and all this stuff, what is happening in your head? <laughs> because that's not, I don't, there is normal behavior and that is not normal, you know. Mm-hmm. There's a spectrum. There's a spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> There's a spectrum. I don't, you know. uh, I don't know, dude. And it's just like, I feel like there is something complicated happening today that is not allowing us to think about even the extraterrestrial. Like and you said, it's a substructure. Yeah, an extraterrestrial. Like, dude, think about it. When me and Zade think about this, it's always, like, really fun. It's, 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 it's a time to... It's like an activity, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's a time to really allow yourself to just breathe in this inf- this question mark and just be like, oh, like, I wonder what they look like. Are they even um, how we are told they are? Are they insects? Are they, like, God knows what they are. You know what I mean? Yeah, for anybody who actually wants to dive into that, mm-hmm. there's a research paper that was written by a professor of California University of Human Sciences who runs the Exo Studies program. His name is Dr. Sean Eshbjorn Hargens, and he wrote a paper titled Our Wild Cosmos. And inside of that paper, he has this detailed web of all the different reported species. And I, if I remember correctly, he reviewed 13,000 encounter cases mm. and he called this web the exophenotypes. Ooh. And you had, wow. in, you had insectoids, which ranged from mantis beings, ant beings, you know, fly looking beings. And you had the humanoids, which came as like the Nordics, the tall whites, etc. Then you had an entire branch of these, gray beings that are reported tall short grays mm-hmm. and reptilian amphibious so out of these 13,000 cases as an example even if let's just say hypothetically to entertain the idea let's say these are true mm-hmm. that means we're having encounters and face-to-face interactions with multiple species coming from multiple points of origin and within that same paper actually my homework assignment this winter is I want to rewrite that whole paper 
so I can retain what's in it. Mm. But he was saying that there is over 20 operational hypotheses as to where these beings could be coming from. Oh, wow. 20 different points of origin. And all of them are on the table. And all of them actually have data that supports the idea. So this, this is a very, very sophisticated phenomenon. We're not just dealing with extraterrestrials here. And also our perception of space as well is in question because we think of space in three-dimensional terms. Mm-hmm. Forward, back, up, down, right, left, time being the fourth dimension. So when we think of space, we're thinking propulsion A to B. Mm-hmm. That's space. We're going to another physical planet. These beings clearly have access to higher dimensional space. Yeah, time warp. Um which would explain like all the different like shaped all the differently shaped and sized UAPs and UFOs, right? Exactly. Should I use UAPs or UFOs? Doesn't uh, matter. Whatever whatever helps you sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> UAP seems more broad. I like that. UAP uh, sounds yeah. more exotic. Dude. It's uh, they, they, yeah, they've been called ETVs, extraterrestrial vehicles, uh <laughs> A eight. Aerospace, AAVs, Advanced Aerospace Vehicles. If you actually go into the documentation from the military, the different acronyms that they've used is unbelievable. Yeah. And like UAP was actually not a recent term. They just, it just got adopted in a broad context recently because I found documents from Blue Book that called them UAP. Oh, wow. Oh, well, actually, excuse me, Unidentified Aerial Objects, UAO. Mm. So it just goes to show these these acronyms are just <sighs> leads to the same uh, definition technically. Exactly, yeah. and even I mean I was on the way here. I was listening to an interview uh, with Jim Garrison, who's the founder of Ubiquity University, and Danny Sheehan, and Danny was saying flat out, and 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 just to provide some context here, Danny was assigned by the Congressional Library, their Science and Technology Division. I remember correctly to investigate this matter and he got access to the classified portions of project blue book, Mm. the portions of project blue book that still to this day are not public that are just tucked away in the congressional library. They knew based on Danny referencing and looking through the, the memorandums of everyone communicating with each other, they knew they were extraterrestrial and then project blue book transformed into a PR campaign to have the public become disinterested in this entire issue. And then they started giving these preposterous explanations, swamp gas, uh, searchlights against clouds. <laughs> That's one. I mean, cause sometimes, you yeah. know, you can see a searchlight and if you know, you're not, I had the most situational, situationally aware person. You're like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> yeah. Clearly uh, misidentification of aircraft, weather balloons, spy balloons, celestial bodies, comets, shooting stars, etc. But so, I mean, that's just one example of the government having a consensus internally that these objects are under intelligent control and they are non-human intelligence and they may come from interplanetary non-earthly origin. But now our, our, our modus operandi from this point on is to make sure the public does not know about it we keep this airtight for the next hundred years and we get everything under wraps and we make sure no one knows about this. It follows greed. Yeah. 
straight up. Oh. And then they did that because they want to weaponize the technology. I mean, that Dan, that was Danny's conclusion. Mm. At him reviewing this issue as a constitutional attorney, his assessment was they are doing this so they can weaponize it before other countries can. Yeah. That just makes sense, too. Just in time for Oppenheimer. I mean, look at the <laughs> atom bomb. You know what I mean? That yeah. we, it was used because we it was like a race, almost. We had to make it first, you know? At any, co- at any cost necessary, too. That's the scary part. <laughs> and also, Oppenheimer knew there was extraterrestrials. Did he? Absolutely. There's a document that was released in the MJ-12 leak. And I only know about this because right now I'm actually in the process of producing my first film about this. It's it's fascinating. So in the MJ-12 leak, there was a six-page document that was co-authored by Albert Einstein and J. Robert Oppenheimer. Mm. And it was titled Relationships with Inhabitants of Celestial Bodies. And if you go down to the fourth or fifth page... They were saying that, and that, this is also the document where the acronym EBE came from. Einstein's the one who coined that acronym, Extraterrestrial mm. Biological Entity. Mm. That's been thrown around for decades. I'm not sure if a lot of people know Einstein's the one who coined that term. And they said that our atomic tests of late have influenced the arrival of these intelligences. Mm. Meaning that when we detonated Trinity, you know, they showed up. Because clearly, our detonation of nuclear weapons is interfering in their world. Mm. And they're much closer to us than we think that they are. Because, I mean, we were talking about, I mean, you were really telling me before about the whole quantum uh, quantum mechanics. Mm. I mean, that's entanglement. All points in space and time are connected. Yeah. So if you set off a nuclear bomb and there's a civilization out there who's technologically advanced, that they're tapping into that entangled field, the quantum field, just like you can tap into Twitter or any other social media, you just realize, okay, now they're a threat to us Hmm. because now they're ripping into the space-time continuum with nukes. Um, Wow. Now, this is so crazy, but do you think the fear is essentially you don't want to piss them off? You know, because you don't know what you're dealing with yet, right? And um, seeing that they have insane technology that probably just defies our knowledge of physics. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think it stems from fear? How 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 we? Ah, I don't know. Like I, I've heard about, um, for example, shooting down one of them. You know, um, there were a couple cases in Russia, I think, that where they chased some around, and we lost two pilots because of that. And that wasn't because of the UFOs. It wasn't because of the UFOs, right? No, it was because the pilots crashed in the pursuit of them. Because you're going after objects that can go 600 Gs and make right angle turns. Yeah. Try (laughs) Try chasing down an object with those kinds of capabilities in a kinetic, kinetically driven aircraft like a jet. You're gonna. And I mean, they were they were cooking and going after these craft. You're gonna crash. It's, it's impossible. You're going down. Yeah, it's impossible. So I heard the the fact that um, they were told to back down. Just don't chase these things because we don't know what they are capable of. Mm. Right. This is the case in Russia. Yeah. You gotta send me this. Um, I think who's who was talking about this? George Knapp. Oh, he was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he yep, was yep. just talking about it. Um, and he went over there and talked to these people. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the reason why I, I like George Knapp, too, is um, after he met with Bob Lazar, he's, he was very fascinated by Bob Lazar's story in general. Because uh, when did Bob start mentioning his story? It was uh, the 80s. The 80s, right? 80 think so. Or something like that. That anyway. sounds correct. I can't, I can't put an exact yeah. year on when Lazar came out. 
but <clears throat> I think Bob Lazar really started this whole thing for me. Like the, the thought process um, over the past couple of years uh, into, you know, really diving into this. And I haven't dived much into it. You know, I've, it's kind of like one of those things where it's, it's that book you read along the year. You know what I mean? Um, it doesn't really, it doesn't necessarily benefit me in my life, but I find it intriguing enough for me to just visit it, you know? And, um, that's how I view this topic. Hmm. But yeah, Bob Lazar's story is interesting because he was firsthand working on a piece of technology. Like it, it's, it's, it's a piece of something that isn't from here. And listening to his story over and over again, it just kind of puts you in this um, room in your mind where you're just, you're like, I, I don't understand how people cannot believe this, you know? And then people go, oh, it's just a facade. It's, it's just a typical Hollywood movie for you yeah. that's kind of there to program you into thinking and distract you and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, if that's the case... That would be an America thing. Well, I want to I want to touch on what you said a moment ago as to whether or not you know could they be dangerous to us? Could they be, could they be malevolent mm-hmm. or have malevolent intent? There is the example I want to make is if they were a threat to us, that would have been made abundantly clear after detonating two thousand fifty six nuclear weapons. Yeah, the fact that we are still here having this conversation after setting off that many nuclear weapons and simultaneously engaging and shooting down extraterrestrial vehicles, probably at least a hundred of them. We've done everything wrong and they haven't done anything. (laughs) It it just shows their level of consciousness compared to our own. And then, so that's one side of that conversation. And that's the, this is the side of the conversation that I feel is the most accurate and the most correct and then you have the other side of the of uh, the conversation, which is the abduction phenomenon, which I find this to be very fascinating because there is a lot of discourse in the UFO subculture and the ufology zeitgeist about whether or not they're benevolent, they're benign, or they're malevolent. And then that side of the spectrum will give you the example I just gave you. Well, they haven't overtly destroyed us yet after all the nuclear detonations and also a lot of the contactees and the experiencers they're getting messages from these beings sometimes showing them viscerally putting them into physical scenarios of a nuclear war so they can experience it oh wow and telling them listen this is the trajectory of humanity right now we're letting you know because to whatever capacity you can you need to make sure this does not happen so that's that side And we touch on the abductions. Bud Hopkins and John Mack, pioneers in that research, both of them have disagreements in their research. Bud Hopkins was interpreting these experiences as traumatic, invasive, evil. And then John Mack was saying that these experiences start traumatic because they're so otherworldly. And they're so alien, quite literally. But then over time, they evolve into transcendent experiences that elevate consciousness. Mm. And this begs that, begs the question of who are humans? What are humans in relationship to these beings? Because, I mean, that, that's the ontological shock 
and also the theological shock. Because let's just say hypothetically, these beings are responsible for seeding human life here. Mm-hmm. Okay. If that is the case, what rights do we have with these beings? For example, we take endangered sea life out of their world and we inspect them, make sure they're in good health. We tag them and send them back into their world so we can track them and monitor them to make sure they're doing good. It could be a very similar situation in a cosmic context. And that freaks a lot of people out because, I mean, if that happened to me and I was sitting at home on a Friday night and three beings appear into the living room, and next thing I know I'm laying on some steel bed with devices being poked at me and them showing me images of nuclear bombs, I'd probably be pretty freaked the fuck out. Yeah. And it's so outrageous you can't tell anybody. I mean, you can tell a few people. You have to find those groups. You have to find those support groups which actually exist. And more and more of them are becoming uh, formed because more and more people are having contact experiences. This is a a global phenomenon. So I know I kind of just ran a whole train of thought on you guys, but I think... I heard this analysis of whether or not they're good or bad years ago, and I actually really agree with this. There's the helpers, the observers, the manipulators, and the intruders. Mm. Makes a lot of sense. Based on the data, you know, you see the abduction phenomenon. You see cases where biological samples are being taken from people, DNA is being taken, manipulators, observers, the sightings all over the world, people documenting these objects, and then the helpers, they're shutting off nuclear weapons. But if you actually look at the data, majority of all the sighting, the, the close encounters, one through, one through five, majority of them are benevolent. Mm. People have great experiences. You go out and do a CE5 with a group of people you really care about and have this incredible contact experience, that's going to change you for the rest of your life. Then at the same time, you have people who are having horrifying abduction experiences. But majority, my interpretation is that they're good. And there could be a few here that may have nefarious intentions, but we also don't know if they're extraterrestrial. Mm-hmm. We, we don't know. We have to expand our cosmology as to what we're dealing with here. Like touching back on uh, Professor, Professor Eshbjorn Hargens, 20 points of origin, 20 points of origin, these beings who are responsible for the abductions how do we know they're extraterrestrials you're opening up pandora's box you don't know (laughs) we don't i mean i don't know yeah and even i don't even think dr mac knew and then john mac was talking to the dalai lama about the abduction phenomenon and then the dalai lama was telling him well these beings are coming into our world because we're causing damage to theirs so then that that also touches on the the metaphysical aspect of reality, that spiritual dimension. Mm. They're in the unseen. What are they? Who are they? Are they us? You know, if, and this, this is a really fascinating idea that I've been juggling in my mind to explain, to, to make sense, to make sense of the abduction phenomenon in my mind would be that what if these gray beings who are having these interactions with people are actually higher dimensional aspects of themselves but when they come down into this dimension, they have to take on a separate physical manifested form that appears to be autonomous and independent from the person that they are the higher dimensional aspect of. Mm, Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. This reminds me of the the case of the two guys that walked into a bank 
They're wearing coats. Couldn't see their faces. Yeah, I saw that video. Yeah. I saw that video. But I wrap your mind around that for for a moment. You have to sit with it. You gotta sit with that because I started reading John Keel's book, The Eighth The Eighth Tower. Mm. I got halfway through and closed it for a long time because that book is wild. I mean, it is it is just uh, provocative and the ideas that he's suggesting. But the reason I think that idea I just shared with you of a higher multidimensional aspect, and that's what these beings actually are in many cases, is because we only perceive 0.1% of the visible light spectrum. Yep. So that means I'm seeing a tenth of a percent of you, of you, you guys are seeing a tenth of a percent of me and this entire reality that we live in. So that means I'm not seeing 99.98% of what you actually are. Mm. Which just boggles the mind. I mean, because it's just the way we are created. Just how our senses are. Yeah. That's and we have a cap. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what if those, and what if that 99.98% <laughs> can independently do as it likes <laughs> and it can come down here and interact with itself? But when it comes down here, for some reason, it takes on a physical form of a humanoid gray being. So it drops down to the, the smaller percentage that you're talking about. It, it, it's frequency. It's frequency. They, they, they lower their vibration and they come in here into this. And that's why they appear out of thin air. They just, they fractal and they, they materialize here. And you're like, where did you come from? I just tuned in, lowered the frequency. Now I'm here. It's, it's super complex, but I think all in all, this entire situation is is going to be very beneficial to humanity. It's going to allow us to see the humanity within each other. Mm-hmm. It's going to put us in a cosmic context. We're not just here to disagree with each other on this rock hurtling through space. We can unify and we can become one planet, one people, one universe, one yeah. people. And that means if we can cooperate amongst each other, we can we can cooperate with other life forms. Yeah. I and mean, then, that makes a lot of sense. And they can help us make I don't want to say help us because then that sounds very, uh, I heard this term called cosmic codependency (laughs) (laughs) and and we don't want that because, because then this is also a much bigger, bigger question here is how do we begin engaging with a phenomenon? Not even a phenomenon because now we know who, where, why, let's say we get to that point. How do we begin engaging with these intelligences in a way that maintains our sovereignty and our independence as a species? And we don't allow human culture to be enveloped into the extraterrestrials. How do we keep our integrity and how do we remain like autonomous from them? Mm. Especially when they're so advanced, you know, it's, uh, it's, and that's probably one of the primary reasons why the secrecy is going on Mm. because let's just say, for example, I don't want to say Biden. Let's say when Robert F. Kennedy Jr. becomes president and he's standing in the white house and says, listen up, there's extraterrestrials here. Uh, we have data that suggests they are 500,000 years more advanced than us. Globally, people are going to say, okay, we're at the mercy of them. Because of, with that kind of technology, I mean... They're essentially gone. You know, advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. You, you mentioned... Um you mentioned uh, the word experience, so that begs the question: Have you had any, maybe like one or two pivotal experiences that sent you down this path? Because that's what I really like. I, I wanna yeah, want to hear some stories. If you do have them, oh, okay. 
Yeah, I'll definitely I'll share with you guys. I usually don't. Uh, let's see. So I remember growing up. Uh, I was adopted when I was six, about the around give or take five or six. I don't quite remember. And my my brother Greg, my oldest brother, he uh, my adoptive brother Greg. Like I was adopted into the family. Greg was their biological son. My brother, either way. And he would always joke with me, all growing up. Uh, cause clearly I knew I was adopted, you know, clearly I was, I was young. I was old enough at that time to know I was adopted. He'd always joke with me and say, Oh, you weren't adopted. Uh, they found you on a beach after the aliens dropped you off. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a great, what a great thing to say. I I swear, look, at, yeah. look at you now. <laughs> and I, I remember, uh, and I remember one time we were driving back from, the gym with my mom. I believe it was the gym because my mom was going. Remember World Gym? Yeah. Remember when that yeah. was the thing back back, back, back in the then? Day. Yeah, yeah. My mom was going to World Gym that was in a plaza uh, in Bayville, in Jersey. I remember I was in the back seat. My brother Greg was riding shotgun. My mom left the gym. I think she looped around the drive-through and got his dinner at the Burger King that was there. And we were driving out of the plaza, and I saw those big blinking radio towers, okay. the communication towers with the slow pulsating red light on top. And I, I might have asked, what, what are those for? Or I, I questioned the radio tower. I was like, what is that for? And then Greg circles around to me and goes, those are, those are used to communicate with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just, like, makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so that happened, you know, you know, we're two for two right now. And then I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go in chronological order, but I'm just going to kind of give you guys these little seeds that I found along the way. And then I kind of came into adulthood and I started communicating with uh, my biological mom, Natalie, more. And then she was telling me that her mom, my biological grandma, apparently uh, not too long before my biological mom was born, had an encounter with Grace and was abducted. Oh, wow. And my grandpa who passed, my biological grandpa who passed away now, I think mid-60s, he would tell Natalie that shortly after that experience, you know, she was pregnant with you. And like, that's another, that's kind of a three for three for me. And I'm not taking these as like, you know, like uh, as a matter of fact, yeah. these are just the small little serendipitous coincidences that I just find interesting because yeah. they're all related to extraterrestrials. And I've kind of gotten to this place I of, get you. of being deeply involved. And it's weird how the universe communicates with you mm -hmm. in that way. Uh, uh, what's another example? Okay, well, so all that being said, when I was 17, I, I wrestled all through high school. That was my, my only sport. I couldn't throw and I could not catch a ball to literally save my life. <laughs> and I was not fast. I'm not a fast runner. Well, like, you found what you were good at. So yeah. Not even good at it. Not even good at wrestling. <laughs> not even good at wrestling. <laughs> okay. No, I was, I was like the good guy on JV. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Didn't get varsity until I was a senior. Anyway, so I made... A bet, well, my friend Andy, who was also on the wrestling team, him and I made a bet with my friend David, who I grew up with. I've known David now for probably 20 years. Oh, wow. Very close friend of mine. Very talented dude. Super intelligent. He's a marine biologist. Amazing guy. Certified G. Certified G. <laughs> and we made a bet with him because he played lacrosse in high school. I'm kind of giving you the whole background here because I, I really want people to understand like we how this went it. down. And that, Dave, if you wrestle for a whole season... 
I will play lacrosse. <laughs> and he knows I'm not talented on my feet. <laughs> I'm not a runner, and I cannot, not only can I not catch a ball, but then put a stick in my hand yeah. with a pocket this big and tell me to catch a ball that's this big. <laughs> it's impossible. So I didn't think he was actually, not to doubt my boy, but I was like, wrestling's tough. I don't know if you got it in you, Dave. Dave excelled, crushed it. I think he went eight and one wrestling. Wow. Eight wins, one loss, and he goes, "All right, dog, get ready for lacrosse season." And I was like, "Damn it!" So, so uh, I, it. I think April's coming around now because end of wrestling season, going into lacrosse, and we had another mutual friend who played lacrosse. His name was John, and John lived, let's see, what, like four blocks away from me on this on the cross street that I grew up on. Dude, convenient. Small. Hell yeah, I grew up, I grew up in a very small low-lit suburban neighborhood like tucked away in the pine barrens in new jersey super very very small spot so we all grew up together a couple blocks away kind of like stranger thing dynamic you know everyone's like a run and the skip away from each other you know where to meet yeah Yeah. exactly like yo uh ensign avenue 10 minutes be there boom yeah i'm grateful for that childhood i mean it was it was amazing it's magic so every like every other night or so john and i would go running together because i needed to get my running up for lacrosse and john was he was the fastest dude on the team i don't know how Man would just take off and leave leave everybody in the dust. <laughs> so one of the nights I, I walked to his house and we started uh, running right before the sun went down. Mm. You know, so like dusk, like just light enough you can still see, but cars are driving around with their headlights on, street lamps are on. But My you can favorite time of day. It's beautiful. Yeah, straight up, beautiful. And we were, uh, his old house was on Bowline and Beach Boulevard, and in my little town. Beachwood, where I grew up, Beachwood Boulevard was kind of like our main road that ran through, eat like end to end in the town. Gotcha. So it's kind of a busy road, a lot of traffic on it. I guess what you consider a lot of traffic for a neighborhood that size, <laughs> but that's kind of that's the main vein of Beachwood, Beachwood Boulevard. And his house was on the right on the corner on the intersection with Bowline, and we were out in front of his mailbox stretching because we like we would limber up because him and I would run at least two or three miles. Yeah, and, we, and he ran fast. <laughs> So I had to keep, get that stretch. Yeah, in. so I had to keep I, I had to stretch and keep up with him. And I didn't I didn't see this first. I was bending down, I think to my left or my right, I don't remember, and John just starts like kind of slapping on me. He's like, yo, yo, what is this? And then I look up and at like my eleven thirty, there was these three lights in a triangular formation just sitting perfectly still. I would say no more than like 100, 100 to 150 meters off the ground. And I think not too long before that time, we had rain. Don't quote me on this, but I think that we had rain not too long before this. And I vaguely recall the light from these objects reflecting onto the wet pavement below on the road and also on top of the roofs. So that's how low these things were. I stared at it for a little bit and I was pretty shocked. I couldn't. You, you have that moment of cognitive dissonance where you you can't assign it to anything. You're like, well, you're, you're just you're just awestruck. You're dumbfounded. You're like, what what am I looking at? This does this doesn't compute to me at all. And then they all vanish slowly, one at a time. And I thought that was it. I was like, that was weird. I was like, no idea. And then they all reappeared, far away from each other, and then reconvened back into the triangular formation. And I think they did that at least two times. What the hell? They did that. And I look over at John. <laughs> 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 Dude, I'll never forget. Homeboy, homeboy was just shocked. Uh, I mean, just didn't say a word, like mouth slightly open, just staring at <laughs> staring at what we just experienced. <laughs> and I was like, 
was like, dog, what? What, what what was that? Yeah, don't and think then, it's computing. <laughs> and then uh, we had a friend who also grew up in town. His name was Mike, and his dad. I mean, bro, if there was any witness that you would want at a UFO sighting, yeah. it would be this guy. He was like, <laughs> he was like straight A honor roll, uh, varsity cross country. His, his dad was the chief of police for Beachwood. Like like lit. all the check boxes. This, this dude's like sharp as a knife, and he pulls up in his car. And he's like, yo, did you guys see those lights up in the sky? Because no. I've been seeing them since I left my driveway. And we're like, dude, I have no idea what the fuck those were. What the hell? And to fast forward a little bit, I'll come back to it. But I didn't see Evanowski. I just announced his last name. His name's Mike Evanowski. Mm. I didn't see him for years and years and years. Not until like two years ago, I went to a wedding. And I saw him there. Never talked to him about it. And I pulled him to the side and I was like, Mike, I got to ask you something. Do you remember when we saw those lights in the sky and you pulled up next to John and I? He had no idea. He couldn't recall it. He's like, he's like, I can't remember. I have no idea. Oh, my God. And that kind of disappointed me because I was like, damn. I was like, you don't remember it. But then also on that same trip, because I was staying with my parents in town, I connected with John after like 10 years, almost 10 years last time I saw the kid. And we were going for a walk in the neighborhood at night, and we ended up in the exact same spot where we had the sighting. And I stopped him. I was like, John, because like Evanowski already told me he didn't remember. And I was like, damn, if John doesn't remember, then I got to start questioning my own my own psyche because I don't know, maybe I don't know. I don't know what happened. And John confirms like, yeah, I remember we saw some excuse me. We saw some strange lights out in the distance. So that that was kind of like a affirmation for me. Like, okay, I'm not fucking crazy. I know what I saw. (laughs) But this is where it gets weird. I thought that was a one and done. Like that is it. That that's that's the sighting that I'm gonna talk talk about for the rest of my life, and that's literally gonna be all that happens to me. So that was my senior year of high school. We go through the rest of the spring into the summer, June, we graduate, we have the fall into the winter. And at this point, I'm just working on music, like I was DJing at that time. And I got invited to in in uh late November of twenty thirteen, I got invited to go DJ in my homeboy's basement in Freehold, New Jersey mm. for like a online Facebook stream. Really just chill. Just me and, me and a few homies. But it was kind of late. It started at like 9 p.m. and we were rocking there until probably 3 o'clock. I was using my phone because Snapchat was big back in that time. Like oh, yeah. Snapchat was just popping off. So not even paying any attention to my phone being charged. I was running Snapchat the whole night. Let my phone die. I said, fuck it. I know how to get home from here. Like Jersey, you have Parkway North and South, yeah. and you just know the exit number. <laughs> that's it. And like that's okay. I'm exit <laughs> so and so. I know how to get home. So I leave my friend's house. I'm driving out of Freehold. I get onto the Parkway. I get on the Parkway South, driving my mom's maroon minivan at that time. And I notice my <laughs> gas tank is on E, and I'm broke, man. I'm in I'm in school. I have zero dollars. So I was like, okay, I'm a. I'm definitely not gonna make it back to Thomas River. Where my, where my family is, my, my parents' house. I'm not going to make it. Uh, I know my aunt is like 10 minutes from here. So I'm just going to change course. I'm going to go to my aunt's house, have Aunt Shell throw me a tenner, fill up the car tomorrow, and I'll be on my way. No problem. So, <laughs> and note, like, if you've been to Jersey, at like, this time I was driving was 2 or 3 a.m., pitch black out there on the parkway. There are no street lamps. It's just you and your car, pitch black, Pine Barrens, the woods. God, what a perspective. Yeah, it's dark, dog. And I'm just sitting there, like, and I start feeling the car huff. Like, 
Oh no! And I was like, dog, no, please! And I was like, come on, baby, come on! Oh, yeah. <laughs> push, push, and dude, so like, I'm hyper focused on E. Yeah. Nothing. I don't give a fuck about anything else. I was like, get to Anshal's house. Get to Anshal's house. And the car is huffing and huffing. Not enough that I'm exaggerating a little bit. It wasn't literally huffing, but I felt the car struggling. Yeah. yeah. We're on it's, E. It's it's there. It's getting there. It's yeah. getting there. And as I'm looking at this, <laughs> this needle being on E, I notice a, a red light in the upper right hand corner of the windshield. But I didn't pay any attention to it at first because we have those massive radio towers mm. staggered throughout the woods with those very slow, bright, pulsating, pulsating lights. Yeah. So like in my mind, radio tower, really not even paying attention to it because E, I'm on E. And then what caught my attention is that red light went from being in the right-hand corner of my windshield directly to the front. And, and then I was like... Hold the hell up. I was like... I was like He's not as important. Yeah, I was, I was like... I was like, okay, so... I pulled the car over. I don't know what possessed me to pull the car over because I was on E and there's no one out. And plus my phone's dead, mind you, because the Snapchat I was using the whole night, my phone is dead. I have no means of calling, texting. I'm just stranded out there on E. Just me. Pitch black, pitch black Garden State Parkway. And for some reason, I pull over to the side of the road. I get out of the car and exactly what I saw with John, triangular formation, three red pulsating lights slowly moving over the parkway and but this time it was different because it's just you and me mm -hmm. this this hit me differently and now it kind of spooked me out a little bit because i was like okay they're i'm the only person seeing this it seemed more intimate it mm. seemed more intentional it seemed like a, a means of communication and they did the same well actually i don't remember if they vanished and reappeared but it was just the three of them and i'm not talking out there in the distance, high up in the sky, small little potential satellites. I'm talking just as low as the ones I saw in Beechwood, maybe maybe a bit higher off the ground because it was over the freeway. But I mean, these three beach ball sized glowing red orange balls of plasma in a triangular formation, slowly moving across the parkway. And I stood out there in the middle of the highway. And this is kind of the moment that really changed it for me where I was like, I need to look into this. I'm out there on the highway, pitch black, standing out there. These orbs are flying over and then they just fucking vanish. And that was literally the, that was the whole experience. And I get back into my car and then somehow I make it to my aunt's house. I wake her ass up. Thank God for Aunt Shelly. Thank you, Aunt Cho. I love that woman. And the next day she gave me some, she gave me some, uh, some gas money and I ran out of gas right as I got into the gas station and had to push the car up like, to the up to the pump. <laughs> like as I got in there, my mom's van puttered and I was like, fuck it, I'll push it ten feet, no yeah. problem. Uh yeah, and that was that was kind of the experience that that really uh changed my whole perspective about this. And and ever since then I've probably had uh well over a hundred sightings since that See, time. See that that wrecks my brain because I've only had the one experience with you the woods mm. for the four lights or whatever it was. And like, I want, I want an experience like that so bad. Like, I just want to sit there and just have something really just blow my, my worldview out of the, out of the water. Yeah. That's what it did for me, man. And I wasn't expecting it. And plus to give you guys a little more context, my dad was a civilian contractor at Fort Dix McGuire air force base in Lakehurst Naval base. It's a joint facility. And he would go on and off the post to exercise equipment and to do different kinds of mechanical work. And sometimes I'd go on and off the base with him because they had the 
the common uh, the commissary, or, or I forgot what, I forgot exactly what they call it. It's pretty much like a general store where you can buy day to day items and get like a fair price. And I think the taxes were lower. So sometimes I go on and off the post with him, and you would see the parked aircraft. You would see the helicopters, you'd see the planes on the runway, you'd see kind of what they got out there. So I kind of understood what a military aircraft looked like. And plus, these are huge. Helicopters are huge vehicles, and they're loud. So, I mean, I kind of had an understanding of like what military equipment looked like in the air at that time. But these things were quiet. They were small. Like I said, size of a beach ball. They vanished. They reappeared. They were a different kind of light. It's mm. hard to explain the kind of light they were. It, it's like not even a flare. Like it, it's almost it's not that's indescribable, but it's it's really hard to have a gauge of reference for it. Does it feel diffused, like soft, but you, you but know, harsh at the same time? I <laughs> no, it's like, like bright enough. It's like it's like, extremely bright, but does not hurt your eyes to look at. Oh. Like imagine look so, imagine looking at this like I know it's going to sound like pretty exaggerated but this is the only exam, example that I can I can create in this moment. Imagine looking at the sun and it does not hurt your eyes. Same intensity. Mm, okay, I, I can I'm see thinking that. of photo yeah. editing and if you mm. remove the highlights it's still there. Yeah. But it's just not hurting your eyes. But it's but the intensity is back. And and it's still projecting light. And it's still projecting Whoa. light. It's strange, dude. It yeah. almost looks like it like a uh, fuck me. It's like it's, you cannot yeah, explain you it. You can't explain it. It's weird. That we are like how we are wired to per- perceive everything. Like at a certain brightness, it hurts. Yes. But yes. Yeah, I get what you mean. What you're trying to say. Thank you. Because it's a, it's, a, it's such a visually uh, hard thing to explain. And now yeah. I ha- I have seen. Uh, I remember my fiance, a few friends, and I. We went up to Mount Shasta, just for a weekend trip. We got an Airbnb. And I did have a sighting there at extremely close range of one of these orbs that flew over the property. And what you just described, how you still have the brightness, but you remove, uh, what was the setting you called? Highlights. Highlights. This thing was so intensely bright, but then no light came off of it. Mm. Imagine having an object that is as bright, it's like as bright as ball lightning with zero light emitting from it. And this thing just flies across uh, our property at Mount Shasta, and there's nothing emitting from it. That was even stranger to me. Uh, and all the and all the other sightings I've seen have just been essentially orbs. I don't think I've ever actually seen like a what I would call a craft. That's interesting. Um, other than that one occurrence that we saw camping, um, I've had a lot of like paranormal stuff. Mm, you know, same. where it's like in person things, but it's like mm, I haven't really. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm not really fearing it. I'm just more like, it's interesting that you bring up it's that you had an intimate connection with it or you felt like it was there for you because everyone is asleep at this time. No one's really, you know, aware. And it's, I don't know, it sends kind of like some chills. I wish I could really bring you back to that. Like both of you. Like if I could just put you in the middle, imagine just being out there in the middle of the woods Woods on the left, woods on the right, anywhere between 2 to 3 a.m., maybe like 3.30, pitch black, cars running out of gas. The only light are these dim, busted-up headlights from this old minivan, and then just these three brilliant orbs hovering above the freeway, just you and them. Mm -hmm. It's 
Yeah, man, it's it's just and, and wild. you said you were spooked. Is that yeah. necessarily because of the environment, or is that because you felt something more malicious hmm. off no, of that? No, nothing malicious at all. It wasn't like it wasn't like a fear as in like I'm in danger. It was it was kind of the realization that this is happening for the second time, mm. and clearly, <laughs> clearly, some shits up. <laughs> there's nothing. There's nothing else out here besides you and me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it it just it it just seems so obvious almost, and I'm not saying like, how do I put this? Sometimes when people see like uh, anomalies, they they start to feel like they're different from other people, or they're special, or or there's something about them, like the like they chose you or something mm. like that. I don't think it's like I don't think it's anything like that at all. I think everybody has that connection to them and just there's a time when that connection opens up. It happens to everybody, man. Like, That's what I was going to ask you. I was like, is there a certain affinity to a, a given individual or like a, a target audience, so, so to speak, that these UAPs or orbs like uh, are attracted to? There are trends. Usually the people that seek will find. Mm, okay. Those who seek will find. Me in this particular instant, I was not looking. It just yeah. just so happened. <laughs> Caught off guard. And maybe it was right place, right time. We cannot rule that out either. Yeah. yeah. We can't. Because what if that was just uh their native terrain? Like I'm on their turf and I'm just, I'm just seeing them go about their business. And the reason I'm seeing them at this time and it seems unusual because who else is out driving on the freeway at three o'clock? Not many people. Yeah. So it just maybe like those variables, taking those into consideration, give the impression that it's intimate. Mm. But then also I have to take into consideration how I felt. But then that's just that's anecdotal. Yeah. Uh, but then I, I think what reinforces the idea that there is some kind of bilateral connection is because how many I've seen since that time. You know, the, I mean, there's there's spikes. There's dips in activity, but all in all, I mean, it's been a, it's been a pretty wild ride. And, and these orbs have changed my life in ways that I can't even begin to describe. Like some of my best friendships, like soul connected family came out of having these experiences. Uh, I, lo I lost my best friend almost a year ago today. And two days before he passed, I had one of the most wild sightings above the house that I grew up in. And it was different. It, it and after that experience, I started to feel like, okay, maybe these aren't even extraterrestrial. Maybe there's some kind of spiritual manifestation, like what what in ancient times were called the angels. You know the, you know the godly entities. Like, and that's the thing. I don't really have any answers either. I don't. I'm I'm pretty much just as. <laughs> uh, caught up as anybody else who hasn't ever looked into it because we have all the information but no answers yeah and it's kind of a paradox because there's there, there is a lot of information that shows <laughs> yeah there's definitely extraterrestrials coming here but there's much more than that there's much much more than that man yeah it's just one piece of a very very big puzzle and i'll share one one last thing with you because I, I know i'm on a tangent but People who research the phenomenon, have you ever heard of the, the blind men and the elephant? Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to share it? I don't, I can't recall it, but I definitely have heard it. It's pretty much you have an elephant in a room and you surround the elephant with like 10 blind men and they all grab a piece of the elephant 
One one of them grabs the ear, the other one grabs the tail, the other one's sitting on the back pulling on its hair, another one has the trunk, and they're all shouting to each other and describing what this being oh. is. Like, no, this is a hose. This is a hose. <laughs> like, no, this is silk. This is a uh, fabric. It's like, no, you guys got it all wrong. This is rope. No, no, this is a tree trunk. Yeah. Because the leg. And they're all right. They're all right. And they're experience and their interpretation from their perspective yeah but you have to bring all those together to see the to see the elephant yeah i've heard of that analogy before um and i think it's perfect for describing yeah. the phenomenon because yeah. that's but that's kind of what's been hovering in my mind right now is mm. that it could be a perception thing you know based on your own experience given the pattern of because we are humans right so when a, a series of events happens in our head during the day right like you were at a party you leave that vicinity to go to down the hallway to the bathroom where it is now quieter it is a different environment you know whatever um and you come out of the bathroom and it's still a little bit quieter you can hear the <laughs> in the back right mm -hmm. cool it's 4 a.m Lit. And all of a sudden, yeah, <laughs> send me. Let, then let's just say, like, the, the door just slams shut, and then you were just like in a state of mind where you were having fun. You were just taking a piss. All of a sudden, you were like, "But hold on," and you kind of shift towards that universe of like, that was a little creepy, right? So you, because our brains work like that, you can have the perspective of ah, I'm just at a party, or you could be like, "Let me check that out," right? And all of a sudden, you could be in a different territory at that point mm -hmm. in your mind. I feel like that's kind of what happens with events like that is that, you know, from DJing at your friend's house all the way down to a pitch black road, you're alone, now you're focused on E, and all of a sudden this happens. You kind of like, it took, your, it took you out of that day that you just had and put you in this own zone, right? And then when it disappeared, you went back into the day and just moved on. So there's like this yeah. weird partition where it's like this... That didn't belong in my day, but it happened. So what is going on there, right? And that's just your experience. Someone else's experience could be nothing happened all day, and that is the only thing, you know? So they might hold on to it differently. And I think that's why the blind elephant analogy is freaking perfect. That's kind of like the feeling I get. Yes. You know? Yeah. And what you just described, that's called the reality transformation of encountering the phenomenon. Your intact reality is experiencing interference that is not possible in that reality so again it's penetrating that substructure you're having an experience that defies all rational scientific understanding of the cosmos to us how do you integrate that information how do you go back into society and, how, and that's why there's these uh, extraordinary experiencer support groups. I think there's a guy, uh, super intelligent guy, his name's Christopher, uh, not Christopher Sharp. I'm drawing a blank at the moment. I wish I had his name on hand. But there's a, a group in New York for extraordinary experiencers. And I haven't participated in those groups, but I could imagine the kind of conversations they're having. Hey, I just had this happen to me. Now I'm at work. You're you're questioning everything. Yeah. You're like I'm sitting like for example, say you work at Wells Fargo, and on your way to work, you have some bizarre time dilation. All the cars are vanished off the road, and now there's a floating disc in front of you. And then next thing you know, you're sitting in your car in a parking lot. Two hours have gone by. 
you don't know what happened, you get to work late, and you can't explain that to your boss. And that's just a hypothetical. Mm -hmm. But those are very similar to other cases. I remember Jacques Vallée was sharing a case in an interview he did where there was a woman who was commuting on her way home from work, and she was in the middle of traffic. It was busy. You know, it was rush hour. Everyone's on their way home. Everyone's commuting. And she said everything was perfectly normal. She merges onto the freeway, and next thing she knows, there are no cars at all on the freeway. Hmm. At all. Totally empty. Like 5 o'clock when she was just entering an on-ramp with other traffic, and the next thing she knows, no other traffic. There's time distortion, reality, transformation. And then she comes to, and I don't remember how that story ended, but how do you even make sense of that? And, how, and most of the people don't even have recollection as to what happened. Yeah, it's interference in, your, in the reality because you think reality is one, and it's, it's what you are just born with, right? It's just yeah. one reality. So then when things alter it, you're just like... I don't even know if dumbfounded is the word, but it's just like, it's interference of your whole being. Like, you know what I mean? We have it's to that, have humility. Dude, that's like the Matrix thing. The, literally the Matrix. Like, yeah. what is the Matrix? It's just, it's reality. And when things alter it, all of a sudden it labels it as the Matrix because there's an alternate. Yeah. We, we really, I cannot emphasize this enough. This will be the 10th time that I say this. Substructure. Mm. We have to see outside of the substructure reality. And what I said a moment ago, we need humility. We don't understand the universe that we inhabit. We don't. Like, our observable universe is a fish tank, and we are the fish. And we are confined to the glass. And there could be other beings out there. You know what I really love? That scene from Men in Black <laughs> at the end where they zoom out on the galaxy, and it's an E.T. playing. Excuse me, playing with marbles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, come on, dude. That's real, though. You know, the universe is on Orion's belt. The cat, literally, in that film. I thought that was so great because it encapsulates exactly what we're talking about here. We don't understand the, the bigger picture of this. Where are we in the cosmos? Like, where? That's an interesting question. Where are mm -hmm. we? We're floating. We're on a rock, we're hurtling through space, you know, there's scales, different sizes, like this planet to an insect is much different to us. And then that insect might not even know that we exist. We could be weather patterns to them. They could look at a car and be like, that's an earthquake. Like, who Just knows? Think about the size difference too. It's immense. Yeah. The scale. Dude, there could be extraterrestrials out there that are literally the size of planets, like biological entities that are the size of planets like uh, there was a movie that came out not too long ago my fiance and I watched it like the celestials have you guys seen that movie no. I think it was a Marvel film I may be getting the title wrong but there are these huge cosmic entities that their main role in the universe is to create galaxies oh they mix space and time and form galaxies there could be intelligences at that level and then who made them there's, there's, a, there's a higher order of orchestration that made those beings that are making those beings that are making those beings, and it just goes and goes and goes infinitely. It's an infinitely, yeah. It's infinitely. An infinite loop. So where are we in that? <laughs> that's, that's crazy. We could be the dumbest of them all. Literally. literally. Quite literally. Yeah, and we're, here we are flaunting the iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Steve Jobs. <laughs> My man. Yeah, yeah, good luck trying to get, like, a... Uh, Science from its reductionist approach to, approach to try oh, to figure any our, of this our out. Our whole approach to science is also could be dumb. 
We don't know that. Maybe to our capacity, it is smart as fuck. But <laughs> what, what? You know what I mean? Like, there's there are levels that you can't even. We can't even think that far ahead because we have such limited thinking capacity. What do you think the next iteration of science looks like? What a question. Um, introducing new elements. Mm. Okay. So I remember you were telling us uh, an abduction, right? An, uh, like uh, an abduction story. And you were saying, imagine I would be, if, if you were in your living room and you were put on a steel um, bed, I was just like, who told you it's steel in my head? Like, I'm like, yeah. It could, it could mimic steel or just maybe appear to be steel because that's what you know it as. Yep. could be a totally different arrangement of elements. Exactly. And since you did mention abductions, this is a bit off topic as to where we are now to backtrack a little bit to the abduction phenomenon. Sure. But this is an aspect of that conversation that's always left out of the discourse I see. We've staged abductions on other human beings. Human beings, I got to say this again, human beings have staged hoax extraterrestrial abductions on other human beings for the psychological warfare value mm. in the Americas and most likely across, excuse me, across the planet. That is insane. <laughs> How come we're not talking about that? Who specifically? Like what, CIA or something? CIA. God, Jacques, Jacques Vallée has a document which I'm convinced is in his archives that he is now donated to Rice University under Professor Jeffrey Kripal. And within those archives that are not accessible to the public for at least another nine and a half years right now, there is documentation that goes into explicit detail about how the CIA was staging extraterrestrial abductions on other human beings. Holy crap. And also staging cattle mutilations, staging uh, human mutilations, so when there, when there is any disinformation out there in the ufology zeitgeist about the nefarious, malevolent ETs that are mutilating human beings, okay, we need to take all pieces of the puzzle into account and really consider, is this psychological warfare? And we see this all the, now, uh, all the time now in the new woke culture. Is it a psyop? Yeah. There most certainly is a psyop underway, but it's not about whether or not the extraterrestrials exist. It's about is our perspective of them being influenced by nefarious covert human groups? And the, and the answer to that question is yes. Yes, because we need more enemies. We need more. We're running out of enemies. We've been running every single enemy dry until we're going to have nothing to spend uh, defense money on. And that's what the machine needs. Like what other greater opponent could we possibly have than an off-world confrontation mm. or intelligence, excuse me. So I'm convinced that these operations of staging extraterrestrial abductions and disinforming the public and having this information disseminated out through the subculture by people who are enthusiastic about it and actually believe they're getting good information, it, it's all strategic. It's all intentional. Why am I not surprised? It seems like one of those uh, those gossip things where you go to the workplace, you say one correct piece of rumor, right? Mm. And then in order to hide that one, you put up a bunch of fake ones. So then it just falls into that whirlpool of we don't know which one's correct. In plain sight. Yep. Yeah. And trust me, the intelligence community doesn't have to do that much disinforming because we do it to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> For real. People piece together information very loosely come up with conclusions 
on anecdotal data and then say this is a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially mainstream scientific academia. It's emotional. Like, there is no evidence of extraterrestrials. Fuck off. Yeah. Excuse my language. Can I can curse on this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Literally. Like, Chilling. and like I said at the beginning of this, convince me otherwise. Convince Daniel Sheehan otherwise. I, I challenge any academic to go toe-to-toe with constitutional ter- attorney Daniel Sheehan <laughs> and tell him what he saw in the classified portions of Project Blue Book is inaccurate, that nobody else has access to. He got sent to the Vatican through the Carter administration. Did not That's know that. badass. To investigate this issue, Danny got to the Vatican, and he's a, he shoots from the hip. Danny's very straightforward. He says, I'm here to have the information you guys have on extraterrestrials. And the theologian who he approached, who I can't recall the name at this time, was sitting at his desk. He just looked at Danny, reached into his desk, pulled out an envelope, handed it to Danny. Danny opened it, and it was a picture, a film photograph, original photograph of an extraterrestrial flying saucer up close with detail. What the hell? And that was in the desk of the theologian who Danny approached. Bro. And the, and the Vatican was in possession of an extraterrestrial craft as of 1933. And the United States found out and we scooped it. It's in the wrong hands now. That's, it might have been in the wrong hands either way, to be quite honest. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, definitely when it got, when it got absorbed by the military-industrial complex, then we have a situation. But you, you have the most powerful institution of theology with an extraterrestrial spacecraft. Just think about that. And even the fact that the Vatican has forbidden archives and they're not publicly accessible, this is why I do what I do with Contact Tour, because I cannot stand gatekeepers of information. Yeah, it's I'm the worst. All, No, I mean, who are you to decide what humanity has the right to know? Mm-hmm. Who are you? Who has given you the authority? And since they are uh, an institution of theology and religion, they'll say, well, God... God gave us this merit so we can decide the like, ethical and moral standards of information that you're allowed to have. That God did not decide that you are going to play God. Like, it just doesn't make sense. And, also, and, and since we're here on this particular uh, issue, there's so much talk now of extraterrestrials being demonic manifestations. It, it, it troubles me because... There is high-ranking military officials within the Pentagon, in the intelligence community, and other places of elected power who operate from within that same theological worldview, that these extraterrestrials are an existential threat because they're not extraterrestrials, in fact, but they're demons. Mm-hmm. And, if you, and, and there's, there's, uh, there's inconsistencies there because then if you actually go talk to the most sophisticated, most educated pastors or other theologians, they all look at extraterrestrial life as creations of God. Why limit God to the ability of only being able to make life on earth? When if you read through scripture, and I'm not a, I'm not a Christian or Catholic or what have you, I've not read the Bible, but I pulled enough quotations out of it that I have a really basic elementary understanding that God made everything. Mm-hmm. All of the universes. Yeah. I say universes, plural, all the universes. And and also I was reading Dr. John Brandenburg's book, Death on Mars, because towards the end of it, he's 
talking about these issues, the ontological and theological issues of extraterrestrials. And he said that if you actually go back into the Greek and Hebrew translations of the Bible, and I think it was Mark chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus Christ tells his disciples, go out into the world and spread the gospel to all creatures. So you break that verse down. That translation of world in Greek is cosmos with a K. Cosmos means all of creation, all of you, all the universes, and to all creatures. Mm-hmm. He didn't say human beings, all creatures. So what Jesus is telling his disciples is go into the universe and spread my word to every life form out there. Mm. That doesn't seem like a limiting scripture. He didn't say, hey, stay here on earth and tell the humans about what's going on here. No, he said, go out into space. Yeah, tell the Hindus, tell the Jews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the original yeah. inclusivity. And, and, yeah, and again, that's yeah. how we think, unfortunately. It's just we're so divided. We're not even the human race. We are a Jewish, Arab. Yeah. He's like, go tell like, the Hare Krishna on, people yeah. they're not doing it right, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, by the way. I, I, oh, yeah. I've gone to the temple a couple times. pretty lit. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's, it's fun to see um, what human humans and different cultures are. But then there's also beyond that where it's... Like, yeah, I like what you mentioned with um, they are here to help, right? And you're more on the on that side of they are here to help, you know? And then when I think of that, I and start not, thinking... Not of to what, interject. I just yeah, feel yeah. like that is the most productive way yeah. to, to view the situation. Because if they wanted to harm us, we would have been harmed a million years ago. And the technology they would have used to <laughs> eliminate us, oh. we wouldn't even realize that it happened. Yep. It yeah. would be here, dust. Yep. Yeah. That's have you it. seen uh, Thanos? <laughs> quite, liter- yeah. quite literally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like you start to see, okay, you know, there's a seven wonders on Earth. How were those? You know, some of them were built, like the pyramids, very famous. Um, okay, we can boggle our minds by saying, how did we build them? How did we build them? Well, who said it was we, you know? Yeah. It just lines up too coincidentally with a lot of things that even science can't explain. Right. And you know what's even more coincidental about that? Mm-hmm. Since you bring up uh, ancient monolithic structures, as I was doing consulting on a project last year, and we got into the conversation of ancient sites, and by no means, I'm not a Graham Hancock, I'm not, but you don't have to try that hard to see the connection between all these sites. I mapped out Stonehenge, excuse me, not Stonehenge, uh, Easter Island, uh, the ancient sites in South America, all the way to the Middle East, through India, through Thailand, back around, and they form a 25,000-mile equator hmm. around the planet. So all of these major ancient sites across the globe at a time when apparently they had no technology and no telecommunications mm-hmm. Key. built all of their structures on the same equator that spans 25,000 miles around the planet. And that's just one of countless uh, quote-unquote coincidences. And, yes. No, and yeah. it's, it was just, oh, the burning of uh, the Alexandria Library. <laughs> the, we had so random. We, <laughs> 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 no, you're yeah. right. You don't have to. I mean, they have a Netflix show on it right now with, uh, mm. or they, they did, or at least they, you know, they put it on relatively recently. But mm. um, you don't have to dig that deep to understand that, you know, there, there, there might be some shit deeper to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in fact, there is. Because it's all way too, like, way too precise, way too mathematical. Um, and it just begs the question, like, 
It's just another thing that we've been lied to. The yeah. historical perspective, the fact that we glorified Christopher Columbus as like this all-saving like hero of humanity. Well, is it lied to or have we lied to ourselves? That's the thing. Well, the victor writes history. Yeah. History yeah. is his story. And he is the victor. So whoever is in power at that time is going to decide how history is written. And actually right now we're in a very, very, I I cannot emphasize enough the gravity of the situation we're in right now. We are in the middle of (sighs) tensions like this geopolitically have not happened since the cold war. And that was the last time when we really had a realistic threat of a thermonuclear exchange. And now we're here. We have the United States funding a proxy war, pushing NATO into Russia, provoking the bear. And I'm not, I'm not defending Russia here because Russia has certainly acted overtly and has injured, I don't, I don't know, millions, but hundreds of thousands of people. And that needs to be considered and they need to pay the price for that as well but what I'm saying here is that Russia has nearly been invaded three times you had Napoleon you had Hitler and now you have US NATO if we keep pushing against this power that has more nuclear weapons than us and a very sophisticated nuclear deterrent they can shoot down our nuclear weapons. We can't shoot their nuclear weapons down, apparently. And if we can, they have so many of them. Okay, you're going to get one. Okay, the rest of them are coming. Mm -hmm. Why are we doing this? Like, (laughs) I have this one saying, like, humanity has gone mad. Mm. Mutually assured destruction. Because that's where we're at right now. We're acting like maniacs. We're acting like maniacs. We're spending hundreds of billions of dollars to be in conflicts that are probably going to end worst case scenario in a nuclear war. And that's because of the leadership. I can't even call it leadership. I I can't even call it leadership because it's not. I ran my train of thought on that. I apologize. No, you're good, dude. No, it's global self-destruction. It's like, uh, and I think that's, um, that's one of the symptoms in my mind of uh, an organism that is is dying, I guess. It's like this uh, this unconscious desire to self-destruct and to destroy itself. Yeah. You know something know. you know something that's alarming that I heard not too long ago. So Dr. Greer was meeting with uh, the name, the name escapes me. There's so many names to keep up with in this. But he, he <laughs> was tell. he was meeting with uh, he he was he was I think he was in the Netherlands somewhere in that region. I can't even recall exactly what country. But I'll send you guys the video or I'll send you the quotation when I when I can find it. But he met with a high-ranking lord out there in that region, the Netherlands, what have you, wherever it was. And he was briefing this individual about the, the architecture of secrecy mm-hmm. surrounding UFOs and the cover-up of the extraterrestrial visitation. And this leader says to him, and well, and also Greer pointed out, you know, the environmental impact, the war machine, military-industrial complex, etc. 
and the response of this individual who was in a position of power to rule a country said, well, the faster, and I'm paraphrasing, the faster we destroy the planet, the faster Jesus Christ comes back. <laughs> Quite literally. Because the faster that we bring forth revelation, the faster Jesus Christ will come back to save us. Hmm. That's alarming. Because if you're controlling a country and all of the people within that country, and that's your perspective towards your relationships geopolitically and with your own people, we have to expedite the process of this planeticide to bring back Jesus Christ. Really. Such a twisted world of you. That's pretty wild. I, if, if there is ever an example of taking a pure compassionate message just totally out of perception and just distorting it. Yeah. That is it. And it worries me because are there other leaders like that that say, well, we have to destroy the world. It's, it's written in the book. That's stupid. We are in revelation. Like this is, this needs to happen. You know, you, dude, we're spending $157,000 a minute on nuclear weapons. Hmm. <laughs> So, and that's, that's been happening since 2021 when we revamped our ICBM program. A minute? A minute. <laughs> We're talking about trillions, dude. $157,000 a minute on developing nuclear weapons. And yet, for some reason, there's so much disagreement and bureaucracy around. We can find new energy solutions. We could find solutions to fix the environment, to repair the environment. And for some reason, we can't come to a consensus on that, but we can spend $157,000 a minute on nuclear weapons. Mm. What do you say to people who can very easily feel nihilistic about that, this entire situation? Because I assume that yeah. you're, very, you're very optimistic and you're very hopeful about it. I have my days. Yeah, of course. I have I mean, my days, dog. Don't we all? Yeah. Um, but what do you say to those people? Those people who can very easily get stuck in a rut and just constantly beat themselves up and beat the world up, so to speak. Well, I had a meltdown years ago. This is actually one of the reasons why I really started Contact Tour. I was at a very low point in life. I just met my fiance. She literally let me move in with her. I was oh. like, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was there, dog. You know, yeah. like bank accounts being closed on me, credit cards being closed, no vehicle. She was paying my phone bill, like that place. And when you're in that place, clearly like you're very pessimistic about the world. And I saw a trailer for a film that was coming out called Thrive that was created by a man named Foster Gamble. And I was watching this trailer, and then I saw a scene that was so heart-wrenching, it just sent me on this mayhem to where I just beat the shit out of my couch for like 30 minutes, and just I was, I was just an absolute mess. But I saw this scene of there was this massive industrial nuclear power plant and there was this small river where they were pouring all the waste and all the people lived in makeshift shacks along that river of nuclear waste and they were bathing in it and that shit just dog it just put it into perspective on <clears throat> because it's realistic but but to but to answer that question cuz uh <sighs> Because that's where it hit me that somebody has to do something, dog. 
And if you're pessimistic and you're nihilistic and you think there is zero hope, somebody has to fucking have some. Otherwise, we are fucked. Mm -hmm. Quite literally. If your homie to your right and your homie to your left are not going to have any hope in the world, well, I, I fucking pray you do. Yeah. We yeah. need more people to have hope in this world. And Danny, all, Danny has said to me time and time again, the most difficult games are always won in the last 10 seconds of the fourth quarter. That's and, so true. And we are in the last 10 seconds of the fourth quarter right now. I love that. And this and, is why. I mean, look, as humans, we follow people that are passionate about things because passion is followed along with storytelling. And those are the things we're naturally attracted to. So I think what you're onto is something freaking amazing. Thank you. And um, I've been seeing the community grow and, and grow and grow. Um, and it's just something really awesome to see. Like you're sitting at like 91,000 followers. If 98. You put them, 98, right? Now, yeah. Dude, it's put them in a room. How many people is that? It's all a shit that's ton stadiums. Of there you go. It's the Rose Bowl. Isn't so it? if that's, <laughs> it's more than a start. And I, and I took six months off because I, I, uh, I burned myself out and I was feeling very nihilistic. You know, I was, I was feeling like I was just not making any kind of progress. And I like all I want is for people to have the information. That's all I want. Because if we can just educate ourselves, there's people out there who are vastly more intelligent than I am. There's people out there who have way more resources than I do. There's people out there who actually have connections within these institutions who can make change. They may just need some information. Mm. That's all I want to do. Just get people information so those who are in a position to really make a difference can and equip themselves with the knowledge. And then those who don't really have the resources, maybe they can rally more people together and start a movement. We need citizens diplomacy at this point. Yeah. We need that. We need people, excuse me, remember years ago, George Floyd, BLM, yeah. uh, riots at the Capitol building? I'm not saying... We need those kinds of activities. We need that many people mobilized, peacefully organized around this issue. Mm -hmm. And for me, what I've really been pushing on uh, more often than not is all of the alternative energy and propulsion devices I've been finding through the archives. I connected with a man named Gary Vesperman, and he authored this, like, 200 page book that I printed out and it's 93 cases of when alternative energy and propulsion devices were confiscated through national security orders. And as of 2010, I've shared this statistic probably a hundred times in the last year because people don't believe me <laughs> when I say this 5,135 patents, those devices were were suppressed and sequestered through national security. Those patents would change everything. Not even ones that are using zero-point energy, not even ones that are using electromagnetic gravitics, just simple ones that can be retrofitted onto the system we have now and make it vastly more efficient and buy us another 30, 40, 50 years to actually come up with a solution. Just Band-Aids are not being let out into the public. You know, mm -hmm. and that's and that's frustrating. And people have died for this. People have been ruthlessly killed. And I, I believe you because I come from a background of uh, studying spring water in depth. 
Mm. And then I get, you know, I, I went into the rabbit hole with Victor Schauberger and the using spring water and the, in the water vortex to create free energy. Mm. And it blew my mind wide open because I'm, wow. I'm like, what? okay, I know a little bit about Nikola Tesla and how he ended up. Victor Schauberger ended up in the same, in the same, uh, camp, so to speak. Yeah. They took all of his inventions. They took all the patents. They brought him over to the U S they took everything that he had. And he basically died 10 days later. <sighs> Magically. And, and I'm not saying that it's not every case is directly malevolent. Like we got to take this dude out because he's going to change the whole, the whole industry. It may not necessarily be as like nefarious as that. These are just business people who are advantageous and they know how to exploit and how to manipulate and how to take advantage of people who are not business savvy. Like I was doing a lot of research into Tesla's Wardenclyffe Tower and JP Morgan financed it. And everybody says this quote from JP Morgan. If we can't put a meter on it, then we don't want it. I looked everywhere. I went to the Tesla Foundation. I looked in the archives. I couldn't find one document that said JP Morgan actually said that. And then when you actually look into the details and get granular and look at the specifics of their business agreement between Tesla and JP Morgan, Tesla was just a terrible businessman. <laughs> he, he got an original loan from JP Morgan to make the tower a certain size. I think it was 50 feet or 50 yards mm -hmm. high. And then Marconi sent the first telecommunicated message over to Europe, Tesla, using Tesla's technology, by the way. Tesla found out, got pretty much heated that yeah. Marconi did it before him, decided to build the tower even bigger to 150 feet or 150 yards, and then went to J.P. Morgan and said, hey, I need more money. And J.P. Morgan's like, you just violated our agreement. And then that was just J.P. Morgan being a businessman. And then mm. Tesla naively believed J.P. Morgan's a humanitarian. He's just going to give me more money. No. So you have inventors. My friend Adam Curry said this so good. God makes two kinds of people, very good business people and very talented scientists, and rarely do the two come together. Mm -hmm. Besides Adam Curry, I, I think you're the exception on that, actually, because the <laughs> man's both. Uh, so that's, so that's an example of when an inventor just is not experienced in the world of capital venturism and just getting money from people, what that means, how you can use it, how does this affect agreements? And they ripped down Warrencliffe because the place was going into debt. It wasn't like JP Morgan was sitting there just like, aha, you know, we're going to, we can't meet her. We got to take this down. <laughs> yeah. No, he was just like, dog, you're putting me in debt. You're done. Yeah. No. He's a businessman. And yeah, I mean, he did own, you know, pretty much the energy infrastructure. He, he contributed greatly to that. But it, yeah, I know, it's not as black and white, man. None of this shit's black and white. It's a great world after all. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not as simple as like, J.P. Morgan shut the shit down. He didn't want free energy getting out there. Fuck J.P. <laughs> fuck JP Morgan. Yeah. And I'm not saying J.P. Morgan's a good guy. I mean, he's, he's a corrupt banker, but I mean, I don't know, dog. It, it runs deep. It runs really deep. <laughs> Gotta drink some soda. I don't know, bro. Um... There's a lot unloaded here. Uh, I hope I no. This was put this, it in this somewhat is, of an order. Oh, no, perfect order. This is perfect order. This is honestly one of my favorite episodes we've ever had. We're sitting at like over 200. So 
Wow. Good for you guys. Um, Congrats. Thank you. thank you. That's consistency. You yeah. guys make quality videos. Yeah, appreciate it. I'm already I'm thinking about, <laughs> oh, part two, part three, part four, part five with mm. you. So I'm like. Yeah, dude. It's uh, And yeah, all of our guests are repeat guests. So we're not going to have anyone on here just randomly, you know. Oh, like, cool. Yeah. yeah. So it, it means we really fuck with you. <laughs> I really fuck with you guys. Thank Hell you. yeah. And yeah, we, we just got to keep, keep pushing. Yeah. I'm really convinced we're going to win. And to anybody listening to this. I highly encourage you to adopt that mindset. Yeah. yeah. And because there is a collective consciousness, there's the morphogenic field. If all of us feel into what that new world can be like, we can literally create that world if we want it, if we choose it. Mm-hmm. My friend, uh, my friend Michael Mazzola and my friend Phil, talented movie producers, talented guys. They made Greer's last film, The Lost Century which I highly advise everyone to go see. That movie's phenomenal. They did a great job. And the turnaround time was really fast. So they were able to pull that off beautifully. Impressive. And my friend Adam Curry was in that film, and they ended it on this, like, beautiful note with Adam. And he was saying, if we want to change the world, you need to find that within yourself and then hold on to that, and then the rest of the world will follow. Because we're all so invested in, in the world as it is now. We have our jobs, our relationships, where we live, our activities are all based on this world. Excuse me. What would your activities in your day-to-day life look like in that new world? Mm-hmm. Can we start adopting that now? Mm-hmm. Can we start embodying that now? And that, that's what I would encourage everybody to do. And uh, I'd like to say thank you to everybody who's been supporting Contact Tour. It's been four years since that page went live. And it's become more than just a page. It has a life of its own at this point. Mm-hmm. And I've been backing away from it a little bit because I'm working on I'm working on what I feel is potentially one of the greatest documentary exposés about this issue ever made. Uh, and I'm really excited to share that with everybody. I'm really, really excited to share that with everybody. And to, uh, yeah, I guess to wrap, you know, just access the information it's there it's all there it's all there for you and you're one of the best providers of it so you might as well start a contact tour yeah dude well we appreciate you being on um this has been a journey for everyone and there's um a lot to unbuckle here um thank you thank you for sharing your personal stories too no problem yeah Yeah, i love those there's stranger ones i'll tell you guys we're not on camera (laughs) i'm down i'm down yeah but uh, as you guys know, stop considering it my life and start looking at it as our life because life is one, all right? You can choose to go down at one path or see it as the path of all. Mm. And that's kind of where it starts with this journey. So um, thank you guys for listening. Uh, go ahead and follow Tyler at Contact Tour on Instagram. You will not regret it. He's really good at debunking and declassifying the things that you might find hard to read or understand. I do and, my best. Yeah. I mean, it's got some mind blowing stuff. You have some mind blowing stuff on that page. Yeah. I think we're at like over 1,500 posts now, <sighs> roughly. I, oh, I have like yeah. half of your stuff bookmarked, especially the really? UFOs, UAP Dude, videos. I'm like, oh, yes. First of all, consistency. But I will say this podcasting consistency is easier than what you do. So respect, my man. Yeah. Well, we're, we're all playing a role out here. We we're, are. Co- we're communicators. Yeah. That's what the role is. We have to communicate information that could change the outcome of where we're heading as a civilization. That's our responsibility Mm -hmm. because we're going to be around to see it. You know, all these walking corpses on Capitol Hill, 
They can give two fucks about what this world's going to look like in 10, 20 years. Yep. That's our job to do that. That's because, true. I mean, these... Enough said, but... <laughs> 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 enough said. Uh, also, Kennedy 24. Kind of mic drop on that. Yeah, beautiful. I'm just publicly endorsing Robert Kennedy Jr. for president 2024. I'm with it. I'm, with it. I'm absolutely with it. All right, guys. You know where to follow us at the 2AM Podcast. We're on YouTube, Spotify, pretty much all major streaming platforms, including Apple. Come on, guys. Give us a follow. Give us a five-star review. Um, follow us for more updates on our Instagram at the 2AM Podcast. We're also on Twitter at 2AM Pod. So don't miss anything. Go follow Tyler at Contact Tour. We will catch you next time. Peace. Thank Peace. you, guys. <clears throat> Thank you, bro. Appreciate you, bro. Epic. Hell yeah. <laughs>